Uh, Let's dive in. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, that you were born, but you were born to die. And you you were born to take our sin. And we thank you for that. This morning as we look at your word, may you open up our hearts and our minds to your truth and how you want us to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're continuing our December series, God With Us. If you missed Pastor Joel's good message last Sunday, you can listen online at eaglemont.church. Today, God With Us on the mountaintop. And I, I, I invite you, I just, I just want to draw, as I was preparing, as I was thinking and praying about this, I, I was just... Uh, there, was, there was some moments in the initial uh, moments of study for this message that my, I, just, I just became so excited, really, is the word. And I, and I invite you in this morning and through this season uh, to, to, to join in and, and share in the excitement of this, of this God with us truth. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's, it, it will change the trajectory of your eternity if you will allow it by accepting Christ. And many of you, most of us have. The God with us part of these message titles is crucial to our understanding of the different seasons of life that we're talking about in the, in the, uh, in the context of this series. Um, in the valley last Sunday, on the mountaintop, uh, a couple of Sundays from now, in the storm, and then Christmas Eve, a brief message, God with us always. And be praying for that evening, Christmas Eve. Uh, many people, the only time in church in the year, and they'll be here. So that's our opportunity to share this, this God with us truth. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Joel referenced the theological term uh, incarnation, which is the biblical truth of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, God the Son, breaking into human history by being born in human flesh, miraculously conceived of the Holy Spirit. In other words, born of a virgin. And that's significant, and many of you know why. Because being born of a virgin means that he did not inherit the human sin nature uh, from our first human father, Adam, uh, like the rest of us do when we're born. Being without sin, Jesus could be, and only then could be, the perfect sacrifice for our sin that the Father required. The Apostle Paul put it very succinctly in 2 Corinthians 5 when he said, God made him, that is Jesus of course, God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's only in Christ's righteousness that I am accepted eternally into God's family. And that applies to you as well. In in, in other words, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us in that he took the penalty of sin upon himself so, so we could know our creator, God, our father, uh, eternally and personally and, and be brought into his eternal family. Incarnation. Associate professor of theology at Briarcrest Seminary, David Goretzky, in an article in Faith Today magazine, talks about his concern, is, as he puts it, that Canadian Christians are losing the understanding of the significance of this term. Incarnation. He writes, this is about a year ago in a Faith Today magazine. 
In recent years, he writes, he, um, sorry, in recent years, it has become fashionable among Christians to speak of living incarnationally or seeking to be an incarnational church in our neighborhood. He says this is confusing and the wrong choice of words. He says, I cringe every time I hear such wording because it gives the impression that the incarnation is something that can be imitated or replicated in us. He goes on to make it clear that, of course, he agrees with the intention behind this phraseology in terms of, you know, Christians uh, living to show the love of Jesus Christ and living in such a way as to, uh, as to love and serve our, our neighbors. Of course, he, he, he agrees and, and, and understands that that is behind this phraseology, but he stresses there's only one incarnation. I agree with him on this assessment. Important comments. We see the God with us reality, most of us knowing the Christmas story. And if you don't, I commend you for being here this morning. Way to go. Probably outside your comfort zone. And I, I encourage you to, to engage with the questions you have. Uh, with the questions that may come out of some of the things I say this morning. encourage you to pursue those answers, to read the gospel story. Start in Matthew or, or go to the gospel of John that shows Jesus so clearly to be God. And that's important. Way to go. Keep searching. But we see the God with us reality in Matthew chapter 1, 22 and 23, and we'll, I'll read it. So all this was done, Matthew writes, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. He writes, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Isaiah is his name that he's referencing, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, here it is, God with us. The Old Testament prophet, again, that Matthew referenced was Isaiah, and his, uh, Isaiah's reference to this God with us reality, as speaking hundreds of years before Jesus came, prophetically saying that something big was going to happen. That this God that is a transcendent being, and in, in the, in the uh, Old Testament, we see that just the, 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 the fear that it brought in terms of his power and might and holiness, Jesus, God with us, and we're not destroyed? <laughs> wow. Not only that, but it opens up relationship with this, this God of holiness. And power. Isaiah 7.14 is his reference. And then in Isaiah 6, uh, sorry, verse uh, 6 of chapter 9, Isaiah uh, further describes Jesus coming to earth for our redemption. And, our, and redemption just means to, to be purchased by the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're purchased by God to become his forever. So Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Child, speaking of his humanity, a son, in, in his humanity he's born. Starting point, unto us a son is given. Son, as to his deity, he always existed. So a child is born, a son is given, referring to the same person, Jesus Christ. 
His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a lot in those titles. And we're just kind of pulling out the Mighty God title this morning. That's the name that is uh, brought out in this message as we talk about being on the mountaintop. It's easy to see God's power and might from the mountaintop. And he is indeed mighty. He's mighty. So God with us on the mountaintop. In the spring of 2017, I was blessed by our council leadership with a, a sabbatical, a period of weeks, a three-month sabbatical. And, and, and on one of those weeks, I spent, uh, I spent a week alone in the uh, Coleman and Blairmore area of, of Alberta, the downtowns in the Crow's Nest Pass of, uh, of southern Alberta. And I spent time uh, hiking uh, one day after a 16-kilometer drive up our logging road in my little Toyota Corolla at the time, and rocks, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get hung up here, I better walk. I, I elongated the drive because I was alone, and I knew there were bears around that area. So that, you know, I was not very smart, I, I, but I had, like, Pastor Joel's message, uh, he referred to having bear spray, and I, I had that. Um, I had my empty water bottle that I made noise as I walked, and that was probably more just, hey, here I am, free lunch. I don't know if that, well, yeah, it worked. Let's say it worked, because I'm here. Uh, but just spending time alone in that environment is, is not something I've done, I don't think, ever before, anything like that. So I got out of the car and then hiked a couple of kilometers with my, like I said, my water bottle and my bear spray. But on another day of, of that week, I had climbed the, the challenging 3.1-kilometer hike up the backside of uh, Turtle Mountain, a few kilometers west of Blairmore. Uh, it's called Frank Slide. Many of you know it, and that's obviously looking down, and that's the rock, the half of the mountain in 1903 that fell uh, on, a, on a small mining town and k- killed about 76 people. I made that climb, and uh, I got to the top, and I was enjoying the view, and of course, catching my, my breath. I spent time talking to God that day in an environment that was mountaintop. It was unique. It was cool. I spent time talking, but I also spent time listening to, to, to God's still, small voice, well aware that I do that listening thing not near enough. I was alone, ah, yet I wasn't, because I was so aware that God was there. <laughs> it's powerful. I, I, in those, I don't know what it was, a half an hour or so time that I spent alone before someone else came up and then visited a little and before uh, walking down, but in those moments, I heard his whisper to my heart and my mind about how he wanted me to, or, or rather, how he wanted to lead my life and, and, and how he wanted me to grow in uh, oh, a variety of things, but certainly in how I carry the weight of spiritual leadership and shepherding people, and I'm still uh, learning how to live out what he spoke to my heart that day. That was, that was literally, and spiritually, a, a mountaintop experience for me that I'll probably remember the rest of my life, to be honest. A year later, on some family vacation time, I did that same climb with my two youngest, Mariah and Brennan, and uh, they both, they, they, they kept up with me fairly well. Uh, 
Yeah, sorry for that view. Let's, let's go on to the next picture. That's not a very good example to young people in the room, is it? Uh, don't let this picture fool you. This second hike a year later wasn't quite as quiet or reflective with Mariah there. Well, thank you. Big laugh. But we had a great time. Mountaintop experiences. Jesus led a few of his disciples to a mountaintop, and they had an experience. Let's read about it. Mark 9. Verses 2 to 10. Six days later, Mark writes, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. And the clothes he was wearing, or his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. I find that comment interesting. Just throwing that in there. It's, it's white. It's real white. They became, there was change, noticeable change. Then, by God's power and allowance, two other guys showed up. Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Imagine being a disciple witnessing this. It's amazing. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, Jesus, it's wonderful, wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. As Mark's, it's a nice way of Mark saying, dumb idea, Mark. Uh, dumb idea, Peter. Uh, and, and then verse 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man was risen from the dead. Oh, that's a hard secret to keep, Jesus. Verse 10. So they kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. There's a lot of interesting things in there. Insightful comments. Comments, rather, that give us insight. Let me put it that way. That we don't have time to unpack or talk about today. But just an interesting passage. The focus is Jesus and his disciples heading up the mountain to have an experience. Hmm. There's three things I want to draw our attention to regarding mountaintop experiences this morning. First of all, time alone with God can lead to mountaintop experiences. However those may look in your mind right now, what's your ideal? What would you, what would you categorize as a mountaintop experience? I know there's a variety of things that probably are represented as you think about that in this room here. But Jesus takes his inner circle of friends up a mountain to be alone, and they experience some God moments. Now, they were a small group together, but in this context, alone obviously meant uh, away from the crowd, away from the needy crowd, or away from the normal routine of life. How often do you make allowance for that? We had some good discussion on our missions trip a couple weeks ago. 
some of the people on the team talking about this and challenging one another on, on, on solo time with God, uh, solitude time. It's important. For some of you, the word alone in Mark 9, too, is very, maybe very inviting right now because maybe you're in a season of being uh, depleted by people. The demands of people, the expectations of people on you. Maybe some family members, maybe at work, maybe other relationships. Maybe even attacks of people against you. So this idea of being alone is just really attractive. And Jesus may be calling you to find some of that time somehow. Intentionality. It will take. Does that remind you of the way I just worded that? Thank you. Just checking. For, for some of you, this, this may be something that you just need to take away this morning. Where can I find time alone? And I'm, I, right now, I'm not necessarily talking about opening the Word of God, or that, although that may be part of it, but just a, a, alone with God and allowing Him to speak into your life. And we know that many times, most of the time, probably He speaks to us through His Word. And anything we hear in our heart or mind that could be the whisper of the Holy Spirit, we must align, make sure it aligns with the Word of God. Of course, all those uh, caveats are, are important. And on the other side, being alone all the time, as in isolating yourself from people, is not long-term answer to, to the difficult situations with people that I described a moment ago. But, but getting alone with God at various times can be an important part of uh, preparation to live in a Christ-honoring way in the midst of such challenges that life often brings. And we'll touch on that more in a few moments. But Jesus modeled time alone, didn't he? With his father. And the point is that the father was with him there. Matthew 14, 23 as an example. Says that Jesus, he sent, it came a time. He served, he cared, he loved, he had a shepherd's heart. All of that. And some of you are you're wired that way. To, to just respond to every demand and every ask and every need around you. And, and God uses you because of the way you're, you're gifted. And, and, and okay, that's a call for all of us as Christ followers. But some of you just have that mercy gift, and that, that, that is a blessing, but, but the, the, the downside, the danger, the caution is that that can, that can bite you <laughs> if you don't at least do, you know, something like Jesus is modeling here and getting alone, getting away from the demands, being rejuvenated in, in, in relationship, just you and, you and God, right? And Jesus modeled that. He went up to the mountain by himself, Matthew 14, 23, to pray. The last part of verse 23, now when evening came. So sometime later, he spent some time there. Uh, when evening came, he was alone there. Jesus is a great role model. I remember vividly my time, as I mentioned a moment ago, on, on Turtle Mountain uh, regarding listening in a way that is, is just hard to do in the regular routine of life. And as I listened, I heard God Remind me of his power through, in that context, through his amazing creation that I was standing in. I, I heard his gentle whisper reminding me that if he's big enough and, and powerful enough to create all of that, then he's big enough and powerful enough to help me in what he's called me to do. 
Those kind of reminders can come to our hearts and minds by the Holy Spirit in time alone. Now, I want to be clear so you don't misunderstand this point about making time alone. I'm not saying that these mountaintop experiences, whatever they may look like, can only happen when we're alone. I'm simply saying being alone is certainly one of the places where we can experience God in a way that we may not in the normal chaotic pace of life. When we choose, those times when we choose to, to shut out all the noise that can bombard us. When that's the case, we, we open ourselves, we do, we open ourselves up, we open our heart and our mind to new possibilities in connecting with God and to, to coming to see things from a, from a different perspective, His perspective, which is precisely my next point. Mountaintop experiences can help us gain new experience, a new perspective rather. The disciples with Jesus on the mountain were given a new vision of Jesus, Mark 9, 2. As they watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. In this point, I'm simply drawing a parallel to an actual experience that Jesus allowed his disciples to have. Maybe, maybe for you, you have to go way back. When we're talking about mountaintop experiences, you're going, hmm, <laughs> having a hard time thinking. I don't know, maybe, maybe you have to go way back to identify a mountaintop experience in your life when you, when, when you gained a new and, and deeper perspective and understanding about who Jesus was and, and who he wanted to be in your life. Maybe it was while you were worshiping at a youth camp. Maybe last summer, maybe, maybe decades ago. Maybe it was at a special prayer meeting when you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart and life. Maybe it was in your small group. A time in your small group that was just a, especially rich in interaction and, 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 and dis discussion about the things of God and his word. Maybe it was a missions trip, like some of us recently experienced. Or maybe it was a time when just inexplicably, God suddenly moved in your heart in a way that you never experienced before, a, a kind of an, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you because of your open heart posture. That could have happened while you were driving. Mountaintop experience. What's it mean for you? Can you think of one? Begs the question, if any of those or others have been your experience, what, what, what did you do with that experience when it was over? Some, some people attempt to relive the same experience over and over. And I think that's what we see a little bit in what Peter was doing in, in Mark 9. Uh, you know, suddenly their, 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 their life, uh, they, they, their life doesn't seem right unless there's one of these uh, experiences right around the corner. Well, we must never try to artificially uh, manufacture anything that the Holy Spirit has given. It's too easy sometimes to begin looking for an experience. Instead of living our life as His disciples, simply obeying what He's clearly told us to do, namely, love God and love people, and, and to, to show and share through our, li uh, our life, our serving, our witness, our, our, our speaking, our, our actions, to show and share His good news message of grace and forgiveness with people that we interact with every day. Now, the mountaintop uh, 
does give us the opportunity to see things, as, as I've said, from a different perspective. And, and there are experiences as well that the, that the Holy Spirit gives. However, those experiences must, must not become the, the bullseye on the target of what we believe to be spiritual growth or, or what we feel uh, to, to be the gauge of the depth or the vibrancy of our relationship with Jesus. Yet, intentionally, intentionally still placing ourselves under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in tandem with the Word of God will open new perspectives and understandings on things. God's perspective. And, and, and these experiences, again, they're, they're seen in Scripture. And many of you can, you're thinking of, of experiences like this that you've had. These experiences are seen in expressions from the Bible like Psalm 119 verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. A new perspective. There's, there's an opening. Even someone who's been a Christ follower a long time, that's a good prayer to pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, continue to open my eyes to the truth. Your truth. Not a subjective your truth like we have today. I saw a t-shirt, but something about your truth and, and you know my truth. That's just that doesn't hold up philosophically I mean, at all, right? We're, we're not. So when we say your truth, we're we're saying God's truth. It's the only truth that is truth. And 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 open my opening uh, the, the prayer to to have our eyes open to His truth is a prayer that we need to pray. In Ephesians one, Paul is praying for the Christ followers in Ephesus that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Mighty God. A rich, rich passage. Where in your life and routine do you step into places and spaces so as to give opportunity for this to happen? A mountaintop experience can be as simple as opening the word, and coming away, opening the word one morning, and coming away with a new perspective, a fresh perspective on your suffering, or moving into your day with an expanded understanding of God's love and care for people in your life that you're concerned about, uh, or, or that, and that, you, that you love so much, or maybe it's a reminder simply of what you know about God's forgiveness, but you've been pushing back against receiving it because you, you've come to believe the lie that God is reluctant to forgive you another time. Simple things, but a new perspective may be, may be needed. Picture your heart in such a way, sorry, posture your heart in such a way so as to open yourself up to, to being able to hear and see the new perspective God might want to give you on something that will shape your faith and your trust in Him. Thirdly, mountaintop experiences are, are intended to help prepare us for life. God wants our mountaintop experiences to help us be prepared to live faithfully for Him in the valley, in the storm, and when we're back in the normal days that often are challenging or painful or lonely. We know that feelings of elation uh, will fade 
they will fade. But our commitment to faithfully live as a disciple, no matter what life brings, does not have to diminish. When you're on the mountaintop, you may feel, you know, you feel confident in, in uh, the strength and faith and courage God gives you. Then, then remember those things when you're in the valley experiences or in the storm. Bring to mind, choose to, to bring to mind how confident you were in God in those mountaintop moments. Choose to carry forward. Choose to carry forward what you know you knew about God on the mountaintop. What you were confident about regarding his, his character, his power. Capture, somehow capture and carry that forward to, to next week when things might look different because you've been to the doctor and the news isn't good. Or, or, or because your teenager make, made a choice that, that hurts you or deeply concerns you. Or, or students, when your parents make a decision about their marriage that devastates you. What were you confident of about God's character and love and power on the mountaintop is still true of him in all of those circumstances. He is mighty God, as Isaiah prophesied. And as he showed himself to be when he came and walked among, among us, and, and as, as he still shows himself to be. In Mark 9, 5, Peter wanted to make the memorial we read about. Jesus didn't let him. Jesus gave them amazing mountaintop experience to help them through the dark valley when he would be taken away from them. As we read, they said, well, what does he mean is rising from the dead? Well, Jesus knew what he was doing. God, Jesus, gave them that experience to help them in the dark days when he would be taken away and when he would be crucified. One author I read in the study for this message put it this way. He said, be sure to never create an idol of living for those experiences instead of living for Jesus. I think maybe that's what Peter was, was, was starting to lean toward doing. I also want to remind you this morning that one of the easiest things to do when we're in a season of life, on the, as we say, on the mountaintop, a time when, when things are just going well, when life is firing in all cylinders and, and, and finances are, are, are good and relationships are good and health is good. The danger, if we call that living on the mountaintop, the danger in these seasons of life is that we can easily start to forget God and start to leave Him in the dust. But again, we need to remember that these seasons are, are often intended by God to prepare us for a season of difficulty that's around the corner. So let's wrap up by revisiting the powerful truth in these last few moments of the incarnation. God did not have to come in human flesh. He, he, he did not have to Leave the splendor. Jesus did not have to leave the splendor of heaven and, and walk on this dusty planet after Adam and Eve brought sin and brokenness into, into their life and, and, and into all of our lives as a result of, of their sinful choice. Jesus did not have to come and die and save us. So why did he? Why did he? The only answer is that love for his human creation compelled him to rescue us from eternal separation from him. My friends, that's why 
there's a Christmas to celebrate. That's why it's a celebration, because Jesus was born to go to the cross to eternally and completely deal with our sin so we could know God, our creator, personally and eternally. The Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, and as we uh, reviewed several weeks ago in our Through the Bible in Seven Weeks series, wrote four other New Testament books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and, and the book of Revelation as well. Well, in his Gospel, in his narrative of the life of Jesus, in John 3.16, many of us, we, we learned this as a child, but the power of this is, is probably greater in our hearts and minds today than it, than it ever was. And he wrote these words in John 3.16. And maybe you're hearing these words for the very first time this morning. And if that is true, I want, you to, I want you to hear these words and place your name in the sentence when I read the words, the world. Okay? For God so loved the world your name in there. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, have eternal life. Perish. It's a word we don't use too often. It means, of course, to die, but to die to be dead spiritually means eternal death. Death is defined as separation. Eternal separation from a God who loves you. From a God who created you. From a God who wants you in his eternal family. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you have never chosen to trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you, you can today. You can do what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10, 9 and 10 where he said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation, hmm, to be saved. Huh, what's that mean? It means to be rescued from the terrible terribleness of sin and the eternal consequence of our sin, which I said already, is eternal separation from the God who wants you with him. And he wants you with him so badly that he sent his son, Jesus, to die. It's powerful. It's got to speak to you about how much you are loved by him. Choosing this morning, maybe for you the first time, or, or coming back after a season of spiritual wandering where you just chose to walk away, to, to recommit to Christ this morning and trust Him as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life will bring you into His family and into personal and eternal relationship with Him. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and bow your heads, and I'm going to ask Christians in this room to pray this morning. Because there might be someone who today is your day to say, I want to become a Christ follower. I want to surrender my life. I want to, I want to turn from my sin. I want to turn from doing life as the, you know, as the boss. I don't want to be the boss of my life anymore. I want Jesus to take that role. Because he loves me most and knows me best. And so if this is your prayer, in your own heart, and in your own words, you can pray it as I pray even whispering these prayer, this prayer or speaking it out loud verbally right now. And it's not about these words. God knows your heart.
But this expression of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross is an important confession according to Romans 10. Saying, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to step in and take upon himself the penalty for sin so that I could live. So that I could live eternally. So that I could live free. So that I could live in a way that you created me to live. In a relationship with you and other believers. I, I surrender to you today. I commit my life to you today. I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask you to begin to lead my life every day. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person who may have prayed that this morning. That you would make yourself so real to them. Remind them of your deep, deep love for them. I pray it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.